Well, this morning's message is, what floats your, your boat? What? I, oh. <laughs> I, I thought I had spelled it wrong. On yeah, I know. <laughs> no, actually, that came up by accident. And you have to be careful what you Googled. Um, accuracy does matter. I typed in, just threw in the line, what floats your, your boat? Just to see what kind of image I could get for our screen. And I spelled one letter wrong, and I got what floats your goat. I don't know the story behind this picture, but I put it up there for reason number one. I want to see if you're paying attention. Thank you. And um, the second one, you know, accuracy matters sometimes. And this morning we're going to talk a little bit about passion. And what you're passionate about does matter. Because if you're off by a little bit, you might end up with something completely different, like a goat in an inner tube. I don't know. You can go ahead and change to the real slide. Okay. So as you see on the sign in front of the church, this message is, what floats your boat? Uh, for the past, past few weeks, we've been studying what could be described as our process of faith, or perhaps we should call it our cycle of faith. We call it that because we started the series by learning that we must take the first step by extending faith, and then God responds to our act of faithfulness by meeting it with his action, or with his promise, or with his blessing. And last week, we looked at the next part of the cycle where we must then choose how to respond to God's faithfulness to us. And if you weren't here last week or if you, you know, would like to revisit the message, don't forget they are available online. And I'm not just peddling. In fact, this, this last week, this is really exciting. 149 times last week's message was played this week. So people are listening. I, they need to keep coming to church. <laughs> it's not to replace church by any means. But, but it's important that, that we hear those things. And, and I, I, I want you to listen because I think there's some important messages in what's being said. And, and we're learning about this stuff together, that we extend faith, that we have to take that step first, and then God meets us, and then it's not once and done. We have to extend faith again in a new way and a little further and with a little more faith because now, now we have this confidence assurance because God has already gotten us through this once. So we have to have a, just a little more faith to believe that he can continue to do it, and he will. So that was, that was part two of, of the far-flung faith, and... I finally got good at saying that very quickly, but I'm going to take a little break from that this week to talk about what floats your boat. In this past week, I hope you pondered some of the questions as you responded to God. You know, did you notice that God had taken care of a concern this week? You know, in our lives we did. It's very obvious this week for us because ours was so, so big, but did you take personal credit for his blessings? You know, it'd be very easy. You know, I had another blessing this week that I don't want to overlook because of the good news we had with my father's health. You know, I was at the end of a, a contract, and it was potentially Friday was to be my last day of work, and, and God came in and took care of something. It'd be very easy for me to say, well, I did such a good job that kept me. Okay, possibly true. You know, I was being a good steward of that blessing. But God worked in a lot of ways to move some pieces around. So are we giving credit to God for the things he's doing in our lives? Did you say thank you to God? But then did you go about and... and and go back to your normal life because your immediate need was resolved, you know. Well, no, don't have to worry about the job thing anymore, you know. Just about my day, oh, you know, dad's doing well. We don't have to worry about health anymore, you know. It doesn't work that way. Be thankful and be cognizant that, that God continues to work in our lives and we need him to. You know, did you acknowledge God's faithfulness and call it what it was? Make it a part of your testimony, and then did you share that with others? Did you tell people what God had done in your life this week? And did you act in obedience and extend your faith a little further? Did you trust him a little more by way of an additional step or by trusting him even more with a new or an additional way? 
You see, faith, like our muscles, must be exercised. If they aren't, not only will they lose their strength and their tone, but they'll, they may atrophy and, and actually waste away. On that same token, a bodybuilder does not push his muscles to the limit and then call it done and expect to be changed for, for his or her better out of a single effort. It's this continual process, this continual cycle of stretching and breaking down the muscle and the healing and building. This process, repeated regularly and frequently, produces the increased tone and strength and healthiness of the tissue. Now, I concluded last week's message with this call to action. God has met your faith and responded to you. Now respond back to him. And that wasn't just my prayer for you. It was God's fulfilled promise to you individually, and he delights when he does so. He wants to do that for you. Give him a reason to bless you more. I reminded you that when you became a follower of Jesus, you had committed to responding to him. We said, God, I love you. I accept you into my life. And you're saying, I commit to respond to your actions for the rest of my life. And God will continue to bless you as you do so. And if you had taken a step of faith, I encourage you to take another. And then another after that. And then to walk, to continually walk hand in hand with your father on the path you are on. Or if you're off of his path, on the path he's leading you back, which is the path he desires for you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is faith, right? The unknown, the stuff beyond our understanding. It says, In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I often share songs from Christian worship leader Chris Tomlin. For me, one of his songs captured the spirit of this process of acknowledging and responding to God, who he is and what he does. And I just want to take a few minutes this morning and share it with you now. When Chris sings his questions and words of praise, you can hear the congregation respond with their answer. He asks a question, they say, we do. He asks a question that says, it is, or he does. So Heather, let's, let's listen to this video.
Can you hear the message of the cycle of faith in this song? Not just the words, but in the questions and the answers between the worship leader and the congregation of believers. This is not unlike our responsive readings that Becky read this morning. In fact, that is the purpose behind the portion of our service on Sunday mornings. It's a dialogue. Whether it's a question, an answer, or it's a statement by the lay leader in the congregational reply. Sorry, I've been watching too much CNN. Um, you know, we ask the question, he is. You know, and, and when we sing these songs, you're seeing your response to them. You know, oh, worship the king, we do. These songs, oh, how I love Jesus, we do. And there's a power behind that kind of shared worship. I'd seen Chris Tomlin in concert a few times, and most recently Sherry and I took my parents to hear him sing and speak in April. And that's right, I didn't say speak, because this difference, if you haven't been to a Christian concert, they sing all the songs you know, but the intent is for you to sing along. In fact, you really want to sit in front of someone who sings well, because it's, it's full-on worship. <laughs> Sometimes you hear the people around you more than, than the singer themselves, but there's some power in that. And, and you, know, you can expect to sing along, and you can expect them to share their testimony, and there's a call of action of some kind as well. And that was the first time that I'd heard the song, Is He Worthy? And, and there was this awesomeness when a crowd of ten to 15,000 people at Sprint Center sang back, we do. And he sang the song and he said, it is, and he does. And it's hard to walk away from an event like that and not be on an emotional high. Whether it's a women's conference where you hear Beth Moore speak, you guys have heard Beth Moore, she's phenomenal or promise keepers for us guys. Or maybe it's a Christian concert like Hillsong or Chris Tomlin. I'm not discounting any power or presence of God in a smaller event or even a Sunday service like ours, but there's something that supercharges you when you share a message and worship and experience with thousands of other like-spirited believers. And notice I said like-spirited. I didn't say like-minded. Even in this, this small room, we have different backgrounds and different thoughts and things like that. We're we're not like-minded, but we're like-spirited. We all desire to be like Christ. So rallies and revivals, whatever you want to call them, you walk away on a spiritual and emotional high. And God loves that, especially when it's genuine and when it makes such an impact that changes you. I'll share a little story from my own life. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, very, very similar to this. The responsive readings and the, the glory be and the doxology and, and everything, very similar in, in structure to this and that was the first gosh 20 20 years of my life for sure and my best friend his name was Jamie he uh, went to the Assembly of God Church and if you know much about Assembly of God and the Presbyterian Church it's a little different in the way they do things and I went to this church camp and okay we're gonna go have fun at camp and then we're gonna go to church every night um, and the Presbyterian camp I went to which was in Parkville Missouri if you've ever been to the Presbyterian camp a lot of people can't seem heard of this thing you know, it was great, and it was a lot of stories and, and Bible study and, and campfire songs. And, but we went into this auditorium at uh, Evangel College for this camp in Springfield, and like, people are raising their hands, and they're crying, and they're, I mean, just, to me, it was, it was bizarre. And it took me a second to realize these people are so on fire, not any different than I was or anybody I grew up with, but they express their passion in this different way. Okay? They, were, they were just more outgoingly passionate about it. Not to say they're any closer to God or anything else, but that kind of, you know, I left there supercharged. In fact, I was, the first time I went, I think I was maybe 12 or 14. 
And I got it. I, that's when I really started talking to God. Uh, really, because I wanted to know what was going on with this thing. And it really started, it really jump-started my prayer life. And of all the other, you know, emotional highs that went away with time after some of those events, that one stuck with me today. So what floats your boat? What gets you excited and gives you some extra energy and motivation? The printed image on the back of your announcements this week has a, a little shot and it, it poses these questions. It says, what's important to you? What do you care about? What gives your life meaning? And when did you last time, or when did you last find the time to think about the questions that really matter? And, and knowing that faithfulness and discipleship is a decision that each person must make each day and in every moment, I think it's better to ask that last question this way. When did you last make time to think about the questions that really matter? And what did you use your gauge to determine is what really matters? What are you, what are you allowing to tell you are the things that are important in life? And these aren't just questions that your high school counselor used to help you pick a career. Not only your answers, but your willingness to ponder these questions is scriptural and important to your spiritual growth. So why is it important? Matthew 6.21 reminds us, it says, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, which is how you spend your time, money, thoughts, and talents, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you spend your time and your focus and your money, that is, that is what you love. That's what you're passionate about, first and foremost. So just one example, and I, I'd written this in before we were having our garden discussion this morning. You know, some people in our congregation have a passion for gardening and lawn care. And they use it in a way that honors God and beautifies his house. Look around our church. You can see the flowers and the cleanliness of the building and everything. And the care and attention that is given. Others may share this passion, and maybe they're fortunate enough to make a living out of it. And great, if we could make a living at what we enjoy doing, that would be fantastic. But by doing it by honoring God and giving back a portion of their talent, that's scriptural, that's obedience. Okay? That's using your passion in a good way. And God wants you to use your passions and talents for things of kingdom importance. The result isn't just a blessing for their obedience, but also a deep-seated joy that can be found from doing something you truly enjoy that is for the good of another. And these things float your boat. Keep saying the word passion. The word passion is closely related to the Greek word path, meaning to suffer, as in the, the passion of Christ. It was the suffering of Christ. It is similar to the Greek word uh, psychos, potion, I can't say it now, which means to be affected or to have been affected. And when this word is applied to the mind, it can relate to the mind being controlled by an emotion. We've all done that before, right? Good or bad, angry, happy, sad. You just kind of go wacky for a second with, Joy, let's hope, not anger. It's not just a, a, a weak emotion, but a powerful one, passion. Jesus' passion was his love for us. It was powerful enough that he laid down his life out of a love for you and a love for me. And passion can be good and it can be bad. It can be sinful and it can be righteous. And it can certainly be overwhelming and override all of our rational thought. When Paul wrote that God gave up their sinful passions in Romans one twenty six, he used the word pathos. And it means several things, including an affliction of the mind or emotions and a feeling which the mind suffers. So the word passion can swing in many different areas, but it's almost always extremely intense. So what floats your boats? What trips your trigger? These two questions are around a way of asking what makes you happy and what are you passionate about? 
Titus 2, 11, 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In this passage, Paul encourages Titus to say no to ungodliness and the worldly passions. And the scripture also instructs us to pursue godly ones. And there are certainly a lot of things in this world that can compete not only for our time and talents and money, but for our passion itself. Now you know the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters to the early church throughout the land, and these letters became a part of the Bible, and therefore they're part of God's intended message to us today. Let's see what this has to say. This letter to the Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He's saying give it effort and do so with passion. Give it your full effort. And he says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Because our gift, our blessing is eternal life. It doesn't rot. It doesn't go away. It, it's, it perseveres. So how much more important is this race that we run in our faith? So Paul considers says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box at one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's practice what he preaches. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, and misplaced passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Remember, coveting something, you're placing so much importance on it that you want it you know, whether you justly deserve it or not. We had this talk about an exception. I was coveting someone's faith. You see someone has enormous faith. It's okay to say, I want that for me. Not because I don't want them to have it, but I want that kind of faith. In Acts 14, 15, the early church says, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring good news, that you should turn those from those vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So they're men like us, just as Jesus is a man, a person like us, who came to be a living example. Another danger of pursuing an unrighteous passion is that it skews our perceptions of what is right and wrong. Paul gave this warning in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in a mist. This last letter, Paul predicts the time would come when people would no longer endure sound teaching. They would no longer be taught by Bible, but, and that time came very quickly. And in a lot of ways, it's still around today. Why do they want to accumulate teachers for themselves, as Paul says? Is to suit their own passion. In other words, they want teachers who won't call their sinful life what it is, which is sin. And these teachers will compromise the truth of God's word and turning from the truth, they will wander, as scripture describes, often amiss and away from sound biblical teaching. When asked, James related the believers not having their prayers answered to the fact that they are praying for things that are not in God's will. Namely, they are praying for things to spend on their passions. And instead of praying for their needs, they are praying for their greeds. I like that. How often do we pray for our greed instead of our need? James 4.3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your sinful passions. Don't you think that if you ask God for something out of your passion for his work, for his good purpose, he would not only respond with a blessing, but also a well-done child? Do you get it? 
I'm so pleased with you. Remember that measure we talked about last week? Whatever measure you use, he's going to use it and pack it down and overflow it. That's what he's going to do. Ask for something in his name and watch what he does with it. God wants Christians to be fervent in spirit. This is from Romans 12, 11. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. God wants Christians to be passionate of good works, Titus 2, 14. He died under God's judgment against our sins so that he could rescue us from constant falling into sin and make us his very own people with cleansed hearts and real enthusiasm for doing kind things for others. If you want to reevaluate where your passions are and what they're passionate about, put these things on the right path. I just want to throw out a couple steps for you to consider. First, evaluate your relationship with God. Ask questions like, what am I passionate about? How will people remember me? You know, what is your, what is your spiritual legacy? Think about what your family and your coworkers, your friends might say about the things that are important to you or that they believe are. How about, am I satisfied with my passion for God as it stands right now? I mean, are you good? Are you just okay? Are you lukewarm? Remember we talked about we're meant for more than being lukewarm. Ask yourself what needs to change so that God can become my greatest passion. I have a lot of scripture on these. I'd be happy to share them with you. How can I keep my spiritual temperature high when I'm surrounded by cooling influences? You know, many people have a lukewarm faith just because we live in a world that is so secular now. You know, we're afraid to talk about God in the workplace. We may even get in trouble for it. How do you keep that fire going within you when you don't have an outlet to do what he's calling you to do? So examine your relationship with God. Second, look inside and re-examine your motives. You know, the saying for the long haul, each Christian must pay attention to two things, their purpose and their passion. And the purpose is what has to do with our head. You know, educating, um, you know, thinking about what's right and what God commands and expects. Passion is more to do with our heart. Purpose points us in the right direction, right? That's, this is what I'm doing. Passion is the gumption, the motivation that gets us there. Passion and purpose go together. Passion without knowledge um, of our good God-given purpose is foolishness. You know? No one benefits from passionate ignorance. If you have a lot of energy to go a direction, but you don't know which direction to go, it does you no good. So find your purpose. Define your purpose before you increase your passion. And if you have a question about your purpose, I'd like to hear from you. God has specific things to tell you about what his purpose is for you in your life, why he created you. You know, what motivate uh, us to serve? There are some wrong motives for even doing the right thing. Serving God must never be about money or glory or prestige or easy living. But it's always about these three things. It's about the love of the Lord. I serve, I do because I love the Lord. I serve, I do because I love the Bible. And I love the lost. To act apathetically, which means without love, means you have a love problem. You have a lust love problem. It's not a it's a spiritual barrier, but it's you know, it's a disconnect. And these things are easy to fix. They are. Third, look to God when you offer your worship. You know, there's a story in the Bible in Mark about the woman who poured this priceless ornament on Jesus, and people were giving a hard time of all this, you know, wasted money. And she maybe have gone a little bit overboard. Maybe she was a little overzealous. But the Lord loved that she was lavish with her worship. Does the Lord like our worship? Do we worship God with extravagance? Do we worship Him with our genuine hearts? It must never change into just going through the motions and checking the box of a to-do list. 
you know, one reason we should not offer the best worship is because we tend to look around instead of up. We get so bent. And this was my story when I was at that church camp. I was so worried about what do I do with my hands or my voice or, you know, should I be crying yet? Um, that I wasn't really focused on what I should be doing. Now, I don't still always do those things, but my heart opened up in a different way and said, wow, these people are passionate about God. What does that passion look like for me? And how do I honor him that way? Well, I think a, a good opportunity to kind of look at that is, is this evening as they do our community to worship. I'm not saying go and look around, but there will be different congregations, different churches, one spiritual purpose, one God we're honoring, and the styles and types of worship will be different, the music will be different, the wording will be different, the way people act and behave and speak will be different, all on the same path towards God. It's a real exercise and acceptance and understanding. Fourth, to reboot your passion, get rid of all your pet sins. Now, we cannot feel enthusiasm and guilt at the same time. Guilt robs us of our passion. Even King David, he says, my iniquities, which are my sins, are so great. It's a heavy burden and it's too heavy for me. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourn all day long. He was sad. He wrote this in a song. He said, my sins are too great. I'm not worthy enough. And thank God literally that we have Jesus that says your iniquities are covered. But this thing can hold us back. Some Christians remain perpetually spiritually immature because they don't let go of these habits and, and these addictions and they just, they rob them of their joy. They rob them of their enthusiasm because they're so wracked in guilt over these things that they feel that they can't be forgiven for, but they are. They've already been forgiven. And each of us needs to do a spring cleaning every now and then. Dig up some roots. Do we have some bitterness? Do we have some resentment? Um, some forgiveness that we need to, to take care of? Get ha rid of these old habits that may be so deeply ingrained and make room for the things that are better, which are pure thoughts and good attitudes, holy motivations and, and clean consciences. Scripture says, don't stifle the spirit. This is from 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Says, are you doing anything that extinguishes the spirit's flame in your life? If so, forsake it. it. Means get rid of it. Go away. Confess it. Overcome it. John, disciple John wrote, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. First John one nine. I'm doing an ongoing study now myself. I'm some continuing education in theology and divinity, um, and and one of them says. How do you overcome repetitive sin? And I don't know about you, but whatever it may be, if it's an anger issue or it's a resentment issue or a forgiveness issue or maybe it's an addiction you're struggling with, and we find ourselves in this cycle of, oh, I messed up, and you get so mad at yourself, and then you go, okay, God says he'll forgive me, which he does, and I say, God, forgive me, I'm going to change my ways, and he does, and you do, and then you do it again. The thing is you can't give up. It says never, ever, ever give up. That's how you overcome repetitive sin, by never stop trying. Finally, to affirm our good passions, cultivate an active prayer life. Three things are necessary to start a fire, right? We all burn things down here. You need fuel, you'll need oxygen, and you need a spark, right? The Bible is our fuel. The decision we make is our spark, and prayer is our oxygen. Jesus woke every morning very early to pray, and he often prayed all night. 
And he taught that men should always pray. These are all in Mark and Luke. So guard your quiet time with God as if your life depends on it, because it does. An early 19th century evangelist Oswald Chambers put it this way very bluntly. Prayer is the vital breath of the Christian, not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he is alive. So Jesus had a passionate week. They call it the Passion Week. When he went through the, the trial and, the, and all of that and was put to death and, and arose. And Jesus' Passion Week showed us that he set his mind on suffering, on dying and being raised to life again so that, he might, so that we might receive eternal life if we repent and trust in him. One of his greatest passions, because we need to look for him, one of his greatest passions is based upon compassion. The Spirit of God normally changes our passions from evil to good. The word compassion means with passion. So it means with strong emotion and feeling. God is, Jesus, are compassionate about you and his love. He has such strong feeling. He set aside his life for it. God sent his son for it. But don't get caught in the snare of our sinful passions of our previous days. Galatians 5 says, never again be a slave to those sins. You've been forgiven. Foster a new passion with a great deep desire like a burning fire within you. A passion to do God's will and continually grow in your faith in all areas of your life. And then as you develop this burning passion, share it. Jeremiah 29 says it this way. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it. I'm tired of holding it more. It says, I cannot. Jeremiah 29. See, fire on the inside affects everything on the outside, so let it out. We're going to talk about that more next week. Let's pray. Father God, you have so much to say about passion. You've given us a beautiful world and amazing gifts, and you want us to enjoy them with passion. To be driven by the fire and the emotion and all that goes with that, to appreciate the blessings and to use them in a, along the path that leads towards you as an example to others, as a testimony to you and our faith. God, even your son came with so much passion that he laid down his life out of love. God, you say there's no greater gift than to lay down your life for another. Father, help, help us to burn with that kind of passion for you and for others in our lives, for the 